Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your hosts, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfitter here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on our Ruth Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And we are finally here. We are at the 100-day mark. And it really is, uh, it's been a momentous occasion. It's been a wild ride. We've seen just about everything that we could see. We've seen alternative facts. We've seen crowd size. We've seen just an incredible uh, array of activity and a flurry of activity in executive orders that we've seen. And now we have tax reform. Uh, we, if, you don't, if you don't succeed at health care, try tax reform. I think that's the new mantra in Washington. Uh, Phil, I mean, we're here. I mean, 100 days. It feels like so much longer. I don't know about anybody else listening out there, but it feels like it's been more than 100 days. And uh, quite frankly, I'm excited. I'm excited for 100 days and, and especially to discuss uh, just for a bit the, the tax reform plan that, that got announced yesterday. You know, the timing was so fascinating, right? Going into 100 days, I think we've seen a lot of failures and we've discussed show in and show out, right? But, you know, the timing of yesterday's announcement when the president tried to minimize the 100 days and what it means, you know, it's just another number, just another day. And yet this has been a packed week culminating yesterday with uh, with tax reform, I thought was was interesting in terms of the timing. Well, let's not not celebrate too early because tax reform is a it's a big it's a process. Right, you want to reform the tax you code. Mean it's difficult, almost like healthcare, right? I, it's probably it's possibly almost, even more difficult than healthcare. The, the comment, the comment is, I didn't realize realize how hard it was going to be to be president or to work on healthcare. Or to work well, on I, I don't know about how hard. Look, I'm, uh, President Trump has the ability to learn on the job. He he's a a bold thinker, and you know, just like when he met with the, the premier of China with 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 the premier Xi, he he said after had he said after a couple minutes, he realized how difficult. It was going to be to deal with North Korea, and and you know a lot of people would admit that they didn't realize it right away. So that's I can't, I, Michael. Are we really saying how this is a man that you know reflects on actions or things he said and and actually either apologizes or I didn't. I wasn't saying an apology. I think I'm that, saying is that I I know from that meeting with uh, the president of China. I know they had a really big beautiful piece of chocolate cake yes. that, that much i remember from the, the briefing after that you know i i, I don't know much else I know well they had chocolate cake we bombed and... iraq if i recall no is that what it, was that what it was oh wait no no we bombed syria we bombed syria you know you, you jest about foreign affairs but these are serious things sadly i jest i'm allowed to adjust. this is like our hundred day this I... is like our hundred day review here when let's, i let's jest, get let's get your, a, it's let's... not such a big deal when the president you know, makes misstatements and misspeaks is what is really scary. So let's. All right, I'm going to give one more joke. I just, I, I just because I think, I think it's destructive. At because at 100 days we finally come to the realization, or at least perhaps everybody in the country has kind of come to the realization that Mexico is not going to pay for the wall. Okay, that's that's. I think that there was hope up until now, and now we are continuing. The, you know, there's a continuing government resolution. Well, we, they go, they're going to they're not going to shut down the government. And basically, the administration has agreed that not only is Mexico not doing the pay for wall, but there actually might not actually be a wall. I mean, there might be a wall, but it might be sometime in the future. Well, I can predict the spin award in the future is going to be well. I didn't mean they were actually going to pay for it directly, but they were going to pay for it through backhands and trades and, and higher tariffs and all these kind of mechanisms that we can sort of claim that Mexico paid for. But let's go back to yesterday's Yeah, we got to go back to tax reform. Let's go back there we to, go. to, to yesterday's announcement because I, 
you know, look, I, I take a bit of an issue in this idea that we're going to minimize what 100 days is and yet find a way to make an announcement that, quite frankly, I don't think was any reason to be made yesterday because it was very light on the details. I know that there are a few bullet points that we're going to talk about in a moment, but it was light on the details. And think about what it, you know, people think that, oh, great, we have this plan and, and we're going to work it through Congress in the next couple of weeks and we'll have a new plan. This is, at best, eight months to a year away. At best. Assuming I think the last. Works. I think the last time tax reform was attempted back in the 80s, it was like a thousand days or something like that. It was like a several-year process. And that's, um, that's, I think, but the point that gets There are some serious highlights process. going on here, and uh, you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot in there for Republicans, for many Republicans. I mean, you're lowering corporate tax rates. But at the same time, you're getting rid of deductions and certain deductions. You're simplifying the code. I mean, could people go ahead and have an easy time with their taxes? You know, there is stuff in there uh, for states like New York and New Jersey. This is particularly bad because it ends the ability to deduct your state and local taxes and your property taxes. And those of us living in high property tax areas have got probably going to have a, a much a potentially higher uh, local tax burden. Maybe that forces local uh, school districts and the like to uh, tighten their belt a little bit, but, uh, or lower the states to tighten their belt. I mean, that will certainly, this could have an adverse impact on New York state government. You'll, uh, may, you know, maybe, you know, enlighten us about that but there is there's a lot when you make these momentous changes there's a lot of interest groups that are going to be chomping at the bit to get their piece of this and you know the tax code has a lot of goodies in there for different uh for different interest groups it's you know just like in state government there's a lot of goodies in the budget uh there's a lot of goodies in the tax code for various people and let's talk about sort of and and i hate for the inner democrat in me to come out but let's talk for a moment about how this plan you know, sort of is cutting taxes for the wealthiest. And, and to me, it seems like we're leaving the middle class and, and lower income earners out of the out of the plan. Don't get me wrong. I understand why the president would want to do that, because a lot of his friends on, on Wall Street and big business are looking for these tax cuts. And they, they justify it by saying, well, we're going to create more jobs. But quite frankly, I don't think I don't think it works. I don't think that that money will ever see the middle class. And, and quite and, and I have I have some serious serious concerns. Well, you're missing one person who's going to benefit significantly from this, or at least we're going to suppose that he benefits the president himself. Uh, and I think that actually is a potential Achilles' heel of this effort. If the president doesn't actually, and uh, I think Senator Lankford uh, mentioned it this of Oklahoma mentioned it this week, and other senators have started to say that the president needs to release his tax returns. He needs to tell the American people how he might benefit from this, how his family is going to benefit from tax reform. I don't think it's possible to do it. But the interesting thing is he was asked about it at the press conference, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, and he says he didn't say there's going to audit the president might. He said the president's not going to release his tax returns, which is kind of what most of us just assumed altogether. But well, but I but I think that you know as Republic, Republicans realize that there is political damage going uh, into this with the with that type of uh, 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 lack of transparency on the part of the administration, the part of the president himself, I think it's going to be difficult to get around it. Let's just look at something else. You know, we talk about, look at what killed the health care plan. Just a few weeks ago, the president sort of put all his, put all his weight behind this uh, repeal and replace. And he left it all on the field, according to Sherrod Spicer. He left it all. <laughs> he absolutely did. Quite frankly, though, if you look what stopped it, what was his hurdle was the was the Freedom Caucus, was the conservative wing of the Republican Party, who didn't think it went far enough, who literally was a hurdle. I want them to look at this tax plan 
and ask and ask them who's going to pay for it. Who's you know these massive Mexico the, <laughs> these massive tax cuts. This is money coming out of the budget that needs to be replaced, right? And these are the same Republicans who voted against uh, hurricane aid, who 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 voted against disaster aid to 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 New York, to to Texas, to other states who needed it because there was no way to pay for it. So how are we all going to jump behind this idea without a solid plan how to pay for it? And then once you come up with that plan to pay for it, who's going to be for that and, and against it? And so there are so many moving parts here. And like you said, this is something that's going to take, could take at best a year, probably more, and the amount of political capital and what happens to all the other priorities. I think what's fascinating is that like it would have been nicer, I think, or, or a little bit more effective to see a little bit more detail, a little bit more of a a pathway forward. I mean, if you, you watch some of the questions that were being asked, quite frankly, the answers that the Treasury Secretary was giving, well, in the right time, we'll release that information and that detail. And that, well, what is the right time? You're making an announcement today about your tax plan. Like, what is the right time to make, you know, to, to answer questions on the specifics of it? And quite frankly, they were, I think, caught a bit unprepared. Right. The president hasn't seemed to want, or the White House in general hasn't seemed to want to address specifics, to answer specific questions. I mean, we've seen that time and again. And overall, it's, it's kind of gotten them to trouble, although they continue to they continue to dance around it. In many cases, they do it quite artfully, I would say, uh, in in dancing around certain issues. I mean, something as simple, as, you know, just to go back to the wall, right? Okay, so it's very clear right now, at least from it, that there's no political will in Congress. In fact, even Republicans and Democrats who represent border areas in Texas and in Arizona and New Mexico, and they don't want the wall. They don't want a wall at all. So you have the people there, plus the fact there's private land there. But additionally, there are Indian reservations. We actually don't have the ability to build this wall. You know, what's, and, I think what's most fascinating here is that this is an area where I, I, I keep – I've said this time and time again. You know, There are enough issues facing elected officials. You don't have to create your own problems. And if you take a look – at the numbers, right? And and I don't care who you listen to, where you read, the numbers of illegal immigration have actually gone down right. over the last three months. Right. So this is an opportunity for the president, for the White House, for everybody to be screaming from the rooftop. We did a great job. We did a great job. But instead of giving themselves an easy win, it's a victory. I don't care who you are. Democrat or Republicans see it as, wow, okay, wow. The tough talk, the, the being aggressive the is actually solving the problem. Right. Instead of taking that victory... You don't even mention it because we haven't heard that come out of the White House. Now, maybe they will on the 100 days. We haven't heard that, yet they take a loss. They take a defeat when the White House talks about uh, dropping in the wall. We can't have a budget. We'll, we'll shut down government without the wall. You have to include that in the negotiations. By the way, it wasn't just the Democrats who said no. I don't think even all the Republicans got on board. And, and quite frankly, ultimately, the White House had to back down once again another loss. Right. but Unnecessary the, loss. The, but that's exactly the point I was trying to bring out, is that the president, even with all that, he will not admit the idea that the wall might not happen. Of course we're going to build the wall. And it, it, it's funny because if you looked at the, the earlier this week, I guess Tuesday, uh, that Rush Limbaugh started attacking him on the on the wall that they're caving that they're and then like an hour later he's saying nope we're doing the wall and it's the very but it's not in there eventually eventually we're going to get to the point that actual decisions need to be made that things are actually going to happen right they're gonna you're not going to be able to argue with facts they're going to be real facts not just alternative facts so there's actually things are going to happen as just like 100 days you know the president put forth a 100 day blueprint a contract with the american people as he called it well we're 100 days in 
and he's saying, okay, that doesn't matter anymore. Now, he's probably he's possibly right. What's the big deal about 100 days, right? I mean, the only thing, truthfully, about 100 days is the fact that it's that's kind of a honeymoon time, right, for, for the president. Okay, it should be his honeymoon time. As you said, he doesn't, he hasn't always made it so easy to have a honeymoon. But truthfully, eventually, he's going to be held to certain promises that he makes and certain accomplishments. You know, this is what actually scares me. Or maybe he won't. I don't, but I, you hit it right on the head. What, what to this point has led you to believe that he will ever be held accountable for anything he says ever, ever? I mean, I mean, when you think about what he promised during the campaign to do on day one and on day, you know, in the first 30 days and about health care and immigration and job creation and, and, and all these grandiose promises that were made, right? you learn on day one in politics school is you manage expectations, right? Promise very little and deliver a lot. He has promised a lot. And the saddest part is that I actually think we've seen some accomplishments. Now, we don't talk about them enough. We've actually seen some accomplishments. Quite frankly, they are overshadowed by all these grandiose promises that have been absolute failures from healthcare to the wall and to, to so many other things that we've seen. What is quite interesting about this is that the claim is not that the claim is not that this administration has accomplished. The claim is that this administration has accomplished more than any other in the first hundred days, that's that's truthfully where it becomes interesting because I, the the one thing that is kind of incontrovertible at this point is they haven't actually made appointments, they haven't filled jobs, they have tons and tons of vacancies. They are not nominating people for they their deputy attorney general just got confirmed this week. It was they're not the cabinet secretary is complaining that they don't have people people who are confirmable are not being nominated so just things are not going on in the normal course of business that you would expect to happen in washington and that's obviously evidence of of some issue that's that's going on i'll tell you one person that we haven't heard much of in the past week since we talked about him is steve bannon which is kind of you know he's just he's kind of well he had this public fight with jared kushner and uh we're not uh, we're not he isn't leaving or at least he hasn't left but we aren't hearing his name yeah you know it's it's fascinating the president kind of uh, the president kind of walked away from him and said that you know he wasn't a big part but the president also said that Flynn wasn't a big part of the campaign. So, I mean, it's it's really hard. That to... was Paul Manafort, I believe. Oh, excuse me. I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that, 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 that Flynn was just a volunteer as well. You know, look, the bottom line is. Well, that actually. OK, we'll leave. We'll save that one for later. <laughs> <laughs> look, the, the question is, is that is there ever going to be accountability? Right. And and what, what bothers me, I think, most of all, not most of all, but what bothers me a lot is this idea, this idea that. That, oh, well, he's not a politician, right? I'm not asking you to be a politician, right? In business, you don't tell your business partners you're going to make a billion dollars and then deliver a million because we all know making a million dollars is really, really nice. But when everybody expects a billion, it's hard to be happy about a million. You know, that's a concept that we understand in business, and that concept works too in politics and dealing with the American people. Stop promising the world and delivering baby steps. 
when these baby steps can actually be really big accomplishments. Well, one would think, given all this, that that the Democrats would kind of be flying high, that they would have they would be a model of party unity, and they have been a little bit in Congress. But at the same time, they're falling all over each other and with certain missteps. Uh, it came out afterward that Bernie Sanders wasn't supporting John Ossoff. And well, Bernie Sanders it, is not really a Democrat. Well, we that's true. Well, we, correct. I mean, I think that is quite incredible that he goes on this unity tour with Tom Perez, and he's telling her, well, I'm not really a Democrat. And at the same time, they have a mayor for uh, a race for mayor of Omaha, Nebraska, and the Democratic leadership is falling all over itself because this guy once took a vote that was not entirely pro-choice. Uh, he like parental notification. He want he was in favor of parental notification, which is apparently is a terrible thing in the Democratic Party. That if you're underage, you should if you want to terminate a pregnancy you should notify your parents. I mean, that's just shocking that you should have to do something like that. And then uh, Tom Perez, who's the Democratic chairman, said that we will not allow anybody to have run with the Democratic support, support the Democratic Party if you know if they are not a, they, they are not reliably pro-choice. And they asked Nancy Pelosi about that. I meet the press, and she said, "No, you know they, there's they're not get, they're not getting out of that on the same page." So. Well, well, you know, the Democrats have yet to figure out exactly how they're actually going to win, you know, some of these elections, which they probably should be gearing up to do. Uh, if you're the Democrats, the president always takes seats in the midterm and they should be looking towards 2018 instead of fighting amongst themselves. But uh, I do want to change gears for for a second. I uh, want to, you know, all politics is local, all taxes are local. And we have our resident expert here in uh, state and local politics, Jake Adler from the OU Advocacy, New York State Political Director. It's a really long title. I don't even want to remember. But uh, Jake, welcome back to Spin Class. I think it's been a long time. You just had a grueling April with the state budget. I think like, literally you were probably eating uh, eating matzah in, in Albany uh, or leading up to it. So tell us what happened. Tell us about the, uh, the, the various wins, all those goodies that you brought home for the community and uh, what the budget season was like up, upstate. Thanks for having me. Last time, uh, last time I was on, Phil was an elected official. So it's there's been quite a change. It's been quite a, a it's been quite a transition for a all of time. us. That's for sure. Oh, now the assistant vice president of Yeshiva University. You may not have mentioned that to start off. So uh, <laughs> that's also a very long title. Yes. So uh, you know, Phil, uh, Jake, what's going on in Albany? Tell us about the budget. Oh, the budget was the budget was late. Budget was late. Right. It was uh, perhaps the the biggest uh, news of, about the budget was that it was late. It was about uh, ten days late, I believe, um, maybe eleven, depending on how you're counting. But um, we haven't had a late budget in the last six or so years. Not in the Cuomo years. Not in the well, Cuomo while years. Phil Goldfeder was there. Is the yes. Way I like to think about See, it. I well, of course, the Cuomo slash Goldfeder years. Right. All right, right. Of course. <laughs> um, I know yeah, that you had to take that in. I understand. I'm, I'm still taking it in, but um, you know, we uh, there was a lot of pride put in the on-time budget and a lot of expectations on, I think, the advocate side and the lobbying side and the legislators themselves. There, I think, people actually booked vacations expecting to be to be out the door by April one or thereabouts, and uh, that didn't happen that way. But um, Baruch Hashem, as they say in the neighborhood, we are uh, we are through another budget cycle, and the the non-public schools and the yeshivas came out on top yet again. I've heard they did well. So tell us, give us some of the highlights. What what are what are the people listening here at home? What what are they? How can they expect to see improvements in their everyday life? 
Let me, if I can. Oh yeah, I please. You know, I want I want to give people listening at home an idea. You know, I, as we've mentioned before, I was in the state legislature, and now I'm working at, at Yeshiva University. But in the state legislature, there's a lot of responsibility that's given to legislators to to do their job. But it's very hard to know everything about everything, and you rely on advocates and 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 friends to sort of give you some guidance, and and also experts in in various areas to sort of give you some guidance. You know, Jake. God bless, does not get enough credit uh, for the amount of work that he does, not just in sort of representing uh, the Orthodox Union, Teach NYS, and and the amazing uh, organizations that are behind it, but more importantly, what they do to aid the legislature in New York and across the country to actually understand, appreciate the issues, not just in bringing families up to explain, but really day by day are up in Albany just as much as the legislators are, really trying to give them a, a good feel um, not just guys like me who kind of who kind of understand it, but for people who don't necessarily understand what it means to be a to, to have a, a private school in their district or a non-public school in their district, and 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 Jake literally spends his time going from Utica to Buffalo and all this time and all be really sort of giving people a, a clear understanding of the budget process and and how uh, private schools are going to be affected. And so I apologize for interrupting, but I thought it was important that people realize that your value added and and value added organizations like. Uh, like the OU is is instrumental in ensuring legislators like me and like and my old colleagues sort of get it right. Thanks. <laughs> okay, now that well, now that we've ended that commercial for the OU uh, Advocacy Center, Jake, uh, I big item in the budget was a new item in the budget. We've had other things like mandated services, all these things, you know, that most people find very boring. But one thing that was in there that was new and only five million dollars. But I think you'll explain, you can explain to us why five million dollars is important for STEM. Okay, for for actual instruction of secular subjects in schools uh, that the state is actually going to fund. So what does that what does that mean to what does that mean to the schools? Yeah, I mean, if I if I can just take a step back here, um, when I started lobbying in Albany, um, the person that showed me how Albany worked. There's a person I'm sitting next to right here, the Honorable Phil Goldfeder. You know, guys, I could leave right now. You guys could just uh, you know, enjoy each other's company. I, um, you know, turnabout is fair play, and I didn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't want to continue talking about the state budget without talking about the person that uh, taught me so much about the state budget. So, how did you cope this year without him? I mean, that was that was like three or four sessions ago. Oh, okay, we okay fair enough. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't have the snacks. You could see, by the way, Jake lost a little weight because he doesn't have the snacks from my office. To, uh, to to get him through. It was a very that was a very important point, uh, very important highlight of Albany. <laughs> so talk. Let's talk about STEM now that we so, now that so we've stepped I mean, back. Yeah, uh, if you if you take a if you take a step back on the policy side, and you look at the push that's been done by the larger non-public school coalition over the last few years, they've been trying to find ways to get money towards parents, find get direct money towards schools and obviously we have these two programs called cap and mandated services which were really powerhouse programs for our schools and like you said they're a little dry they're a little in the weeds so and and frankly they um they don't they don't generate as much funding as the schools need to keep costs down so so that's um even though i will say the governor and this legislature the assembly and the senate has been the best I think on record for our schools of, of any administration and legislature in the history of New York state. Oh, it's a powerful uh, statement. If you, you, if you go back to the last 
you can go back the last six years or so, there have been 4% increases across the board to all the major programs. There have been, and, and there's a willingness, a steadily increasing willingness on all sides to help our parents. So I think, yeah, I, 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 before, before I get into STEM, I did want to say that. I know there's, there's a there's perspective from the advocacy side out there that says, well, only one house can do this, only one house does that, only one party this. Um, Phil's obviously a Democrat, as he mentioned. I was here when he said that. Um, but I think this is. I'm not saying we're. I'm not saying we're done. We're far from done. Um, but there is an increasingly more open atmosphere in Albany towards our schools, and I think that's a very good thing. Well, that's uh, that's very encouraging. And we're actually talking about real money. And people out there have to understand that these government programs. This is you get the money that comes in through cap and mandated services and special ed and things like stem and security and 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 some of these these programs are actually like this is more money than a lot of schools making their dinners i mean they're they're not pulling it they don't have the ability to fundraise these types of these are this is big money this is hundreds of thousands not millions of dollars for certain schools yeah you know uh in at the end of the legislative session in 2015 there was a push for an education tax credit that push fell flat as we all know well, it's been a push from for quite a few years. Of course, but the but what came out of that end of session push was the a an agreement between the three sides or the four sides if you count um, the current structure. There was an agreement between the four men in the room to fund a two hundred fifty million dollar repayment of the cap program. That two hundred fifty million dollars ended up giving some schools two and three million dollar checks just right off the bat. So you're having a situation where schools are are able to create endowments. Uh, scholarship endowments from this back paid money that the state's giving them so you know it's all fungible and 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 thank god it's there and the state's kind of progressing that way but you did bring up stem obviously i'm i'm most proud of stem because it's it's the newest meaning science technology technology, engineering mathematics right this is a a for the first time in new york state history and really in nationwide the state government is taking a an actual investment in the instruction in the secular instruction in our schools so that's that's what's most exciting about to me um you, you mentioned there's a five million dollar appropriation in the budget which is five million dollars in in emir Tashem. we will grow that to much larger but more importantly even than the money there's a significant um a significant amount of language that was included in the education law to allow this program to happen which is very exciting yeah i mean you think about this and and every year you try and be more and more creative in the five years when i was when i was when i first got to the legislature five years ago it was about increasing cap and msr as we talked about my second year when the governor tried to do the safe act when we increased our gun laws is when the first idea of well if we're increasing safety we should include a non-public school security in that bill and we started the first year and i think what is so important and and what needs to be mentioned is that our first year that we got security was only five million dollars and people said "Eh, it's only five million dollars once you spread it out to all the schools, what does it actually mean? But that was just the first year. And the it's, second year was five years. And the third year, then was $10, $10 million. And this year, if I'm not mistaken, it was $20 million. And all these things are a foothold, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you open the door. You open right. the door to this idea that, oh, state government can fund these things. I think Jake is, is being a little, uh, is being shy. I mean, 
the fact that we have opened the door for this five million dollars, yes, it's not the biggest amount of money, but but next year we've opened the door, so next year we're not fighting to get it in the budget. We're fighting to increase it, and I think that is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Now, why do those who are generally against yeshiva education, meaning teachers unions, go along with this type of money? I mean, they won't go for an education tax credit, but they will go for they will go for science and technology education funding. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to t- speak for the teachers' union. Now, don't speak for them. Just uh, give me your. The, I think the last thing they would want is for me to speak for them. So I'm not going to pretend to speak for them. I think there's. Um, I think there's a way to to manage Albany. I think there's a way to mismanage Albany. And I think if you approach either house, the, the Senate or the Assembly, ignoring their bottom line retail politics and the political reality that keeps both of those houses ticking. You're not going to get anything passed. If you if you appreciate both houses and where they're coming from, uh, I think you'll have more of an opportunity to find common ground between the two of them, and you can get things done. Yeah, look, I, I think it's so important. And number one is you've got to find look, and, and you've heard me talk about pragmatic governing, right? And I think even the UFT and the teachers unions understand that we can do very well for the public schools. We could do very well for the charter schools. And we could do well for the non-public schools and the yeshivas. And so I think they recognize that you really is enough money in a $150 billion budget. There's enough money to, to fund all these programs. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think uh, opening the door with this STEM funding is another great step. We've increased uh, the money was increased for security. The numbers for cap and MSR have gone up. And so we continue to take positive steps. And, and I can't say enough how organizations like OU Advocacy and um, and Jake are part of that, but also parents. Parents need to be getting involved. People need to step in to get involved to understand what this funding means to their schools and how their advocacy as well helps in that process. I, no question about it. I mean, look, everybody out there, you know, and certainly we talk about it. You got to vote. You got to care. And the people who are involved, are the, that's you know where politicians pay attention and they care about. So, Jake, very impressive. I have to say, you know, having been through the budget wars and many budget war in Albany, um, it can be uh, something that wears you down. So the fact that we're making progress is so much more exciting. Uh, it's time for the awards of the week, and we have a spin winner and a spin runner-up. I'm going to give the runner-up to Mayor de Blasio uh, because I know Phil wants Sean Spicer to win yet again. Mayor de Blasio decided that he released his tax returns, that having paying 26% in taxes wasn't enough. He wanted to get himself over 30%. So he had his accountants count his pay, his payroll taxes, which nobody does in their tax rate, his Social Security and Medicare, to get his tax rate up to 31%. So he could spin it and say, I pay over 30% rate in taxes. I mean, look, if you're a socialist like uh, Mayor de Blasio and uh, that you want to be a progressive kingpin, that is actually what you want to do. So that's, I got to tell you, that's impressive spin. But really, it goes to Sean Spicer once again, because when they asked him about where Mike Flynn's documents were and why they weren't turned turned over what to Congress. Where are the Mike Flynn documents? He said, well, they're the transition. He applied for a job with the transition. He didn't apply for a job here in the White House. I got look, I don't even think I need to explain that. I mean that's just the fact that a guy could say that it's it, look, it's a clear cut winner. That's all I could say. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Jake, thanks for being our special guest this week. We will see you next week here on Splinkle House on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Dallas and Josephs.